0: This is a tape recording made in the chapter of the open book and the covering title is Saul, who also is called Paul. I'm omitting the number because the subject has grown and developed and they will be adjusted to the tape readings later. Saul, who also is called Paul. Saul or Paul is not our saviour. He was an instrument in the hands of the Lord. And we must not despise the instrument because it is not the source. You're very glad of the tap that you have in your kitchen. You're very glad of the switch in your dining room. But the water itself is perhaps miles away and the electric power is generated somewhere outside of your neighbourhood. So while we keep the instrument as an instrument in its right place, let us be thankful that God has stooped to use men and women of like frailty as ourselves to be the instruments of this glorious gospel of grace and in Paul's case, this wonderful revelation of the high calling of the church. I've got a series of comments here on this little card, we're sending this card to the folks who have the tapes. I've got seven items. His character, his conversion, his calling, his commission, his contemporaries, his companions, and then a change from the letter C, his traducers. For even the Apostle Paul, with all the selflessness of his ministry, had a good many hostile critics, so were in good company. When we speak about his character, we have to remember that he had a character as a man. He had a character as a Pharisee. He had a character as a sinner saved by grace. And he had a character as one who was given a most extraordinary ministry as the apostle of Christ to the Gentiles. So there would be changes in certain phases of that character but the basis would remain in this sense that we lay at the feet ourselves and it is ourselves that the Lord uses. All oh, there are modifications and changes thanks be to God but we're the same person that he uses but it's sanctified. I think the Apostle Paul was always an earnest, straightforward, uh, one-thing-I-do sort of man. I'm very glad that I've been accused. I've had a letter said to me, and others have been told, that I'm a man of a one-track mind. I say, glory be to God if that's the case. If the one-track mind means that for over 50 years I've sought to stand without budging to the deposit of truth, which the Apostle Paul has passed on to this present time. The Apostle Paul was an all-out person. He was sincere even in his persecutions. I don't think he was a small-minded man. Now, all those aspects of his character can be sanctified and used to the glory of God. I was only saying at home, I've read a good many commentaries on the epistle to the Galatians, but I've never seen one that drew attention to the fact that Galatians 1 sets the course by saying, not, neither, but three times. Paul, of an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. And third, the second time, the gospel that he received was not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ. And the commission he received was not the same, just the same. I did not go up to Jerusalem but I went into Arabia and I returned, and so on. You see, not, neither, but. But then I said, you know, I received the King's Prize for Design when I sat for an examination. And it's the design that I spot. So it may be that the fact that I took studies in art and design could be laid at the feet of my Saviour, it's possible. I only pass that on as an illustration. It doesn't necessarily block out your individuality and character. he sanctifies it and uses it. And so the ardent Pharisee who persecuted those who believed Christ, the Mochitees were stricken down on that road to Damascus. Lord, what would they have me to do this is you'll be told, and in the next chapter in the Acts of the Apostles, he's amazing, the Jews, because he's testifying that Jesus is the Christ out of the Scriptures. Don't you see? The man's heart and head was full of the Scriptures, as a Pharisee. And suddenly they appear in a new light. So what he had learned, almost you might say in prejudice, And ignorance now becomes the instrument in the hands of the Lord to further his glorious truth. And so we think of his character. The thought that occurred to me that it summed up so far as his Christian character is concerned in his words, say for example in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. That's what he said. And that can be explained in many departments, in many ways, but there's one essential centre that you'll find in his Gospel that he preaches is Christ. The life he lives is Christ. The hope that he has is Christ. And we could do with a few more like that, couldn't we, friends, in this day of departure from the truth. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me. That was his statement. For me to live is Christ, that Christ. And so we have his character. Well now we could, of course, I I think most of us realise we could turn to scripture after scripture and spend the whole of our evening on the character of Paul. But these are just giving headings because I believe these tape recordings are not going to those who have no knowledge of the Word of God, but are those who are wishing and desiring for a little help here and a little help there to go deeper and fuller into these rich treasures of truth. So, we think of his character, and wish there were a few more like him. And we take the next, his conversion. We had the passage read, you remember, Just the nine verses of Acts, the ninth chapter. I think we ought to turn there because of one reference. The ninth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. You will observe if you read through the Old Testament that it was the people of Israel themselves who had to take up stones and stone certain folks who degenerated and defected from the truth entrusted to them through Moses. So this was going on here, right to the days of the Apostle. It was the people who stoned Stephen. And Saul was consenting unto his death. As a Pharisee, he would have to do that. He couldn't help himself because Stephen's attitude was entirely contrary to his rigid, legal standing. But the thing that troubled the Apostle Paul, evidently you can see it on the surface, he says, "I've got to side with that bloodthirsty mob there." And here is a man whose face is like an angel, who looks up to heaven and says, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." And I'm persecuting that very name. Now, there's only one thing about it: either I've got to surrender and believe, or oh, what a terrible thought says Paul, or I've got to show that I don't—I'm not moved by this. So immediately. He received letters and asked for them to go and bring back from Damascus others to show that he wasn't in, in any sense defected like this Stephen. And on the way, the Lord put His finger on the one thing: the word "pricks" refers to the ox goad, and in the Old Testament we read of a backsliding heifer. Well, if we were farm people and lived, I suppose we should need no explanation. But if the plough being pulled by oxen, if one of them, or both of them for that matter, jib at it and draw back, there's a thin lance waiting for them. It's not jabbed into them, they jab onto it themselves. And Paul would know the reference. The Lord said, you're a backsliding heifer, Paul. You're drawing back, and that's what's troubling you. And then the marvellous change. Lord. He looked up to him when the bright light shone and said, Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Lord, what would I have me to do? There he was. There's conversion. And a change, a laid at the feet of that Lord that he persecuted. Service. He okay, says, so now you go and wait. And he waited. And what went on in his mind in that waiting period only we can guess. And then came a man who was terrified of it. Lord, he said, have I got to go to that man? Oh, the Lord said, he's waiting for you. He's blinded. You go and put your hands on him and say, brother Saul, receive. No, I'm mis- misquoting. You go and put your hands on him. But Ananias added a word of his own, I think. A word that I think Touch the heart of this poor, suffering man in his darkness. The persecuted Ananias said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And I think that finished, Brother Saul. And then immediately after that we are told he confounded the Jews, proving that this is the very Christ out of the Scriptures. So you see, you can lay at the feet of the Lord. What was your past? And he could sanctify it and make it a present part of his service. And so we have his character and then his conversion. He goes over that question of his conversion all the once but we must pass on to the next heading, his calling. Now, he didn't say, I think I'll be an apostle. That was the last thing that would enter his mind. It was the last thing that would enter the mind of any same believer. For the word apostle contains the word in it sent. Apo, stero, is the Greek for to send from. The apo is important because it means always being sent from the presence of the person as their representative. And so it came to mean, in ordinary politics, a deputation that was sent by parliament or by the king to another country. And here is this man. Let's consider his calling then under that word sent. The 26th chapter of the Acts I think is called for because the man is speaking about it himself and surely he can tell us. Acts 26 And he's going over this uh, midday as he says verse 13 O king is before King Agrippa he hears this voice. And then we have an additional, addition. Let's start verse 16, but rise. And stand upon my feet. I always feel very moved when I read on several occasions the Lord says to someone who's lying on the floor with his face to the floor, stand on your feet. I have a feeling while we worship God, he doesn't want us to grovel. Now we've got to be careful of that. We don't take the other ex- uh, swing. But he says, stand upon thy feet. I'm going to speak to you as a man. And so he said to the Apostle Paul, and he said, But rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. You notice, this purpose was not merely the salvation of a poor sinner. It was. But it was the salvation of a sinner of a very peculiar character who is now going to be turned into Paul the Apostle of the grace of God to the outside Gentile. There's a purpose in it. I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness. Two things linked together. The minister would be a servant, who was now engaged in the task, and the witness was one who was willing, if needs be, to suffer for it. For I suppose you know that the word witness is the Anglo-Saxon equivalent to the word martyr, And the word martyr is derived from the words which we have in the New Testament for a witness. A witness is somebody who so holds the truth and so speaks it that he's willing to die for it if needs be. It doesn't follow that every witness will die, but God who knows the hearts of men knows full well how far there is a ministry and a witness that they are standing for it whatever the circumstances or whatever the consequences. And I have this feeling, friends, A martyr doesn't get the martyr's courage until he's being martyred. It's all right, you need not anticipate it. God knows who he can fix and uh, and provide. And here's this man receiving this double kind of ministry. A minister and a witness. He's a servant and a martyr for the truth entrusted to him. And he goes on further. A minister and a witness, both. There is the important point where we come in. This is Acts 26, this is not Acts 9. In Acts 9 there's no idea that he would have a two-fold ministry. In Acts 26, what we know as Acts 28 is very near now. He's now a prisoner. And presently that prison ministry is going to be developed. And so it's now time to reveal it to make me a minister and a witness both of those things which thou hast seen and of those things into which I will appear unto thee. Now that's future, isn't it? So Paul did not know the peculiar character of the dispensation of the mystery even in this period of Acts 26. But he knew it was coming. He was now being prepared and he's making his testimony. Delivering thee from the people, that's the people of Israel, and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. And the unto whom is not referring to the whole lot, it's to the Gentiles now. So he says, you see, while nobody in these senses would prefer to be in prison instead of being outside and free, yet the very prison has separated me from my persecutors and now I've got a prison ministry and that prison ministry is growing nearer as we turn the page to Acts 28 when the Jew goes into his present blindness and the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. So here we have this testimony about this man's conversion and its consequences. The uh, calling of course, is the word apostello, the apostle. Delivering thee from the gentile people from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes. Now listen to some of the anticipations of the epistle to the Ephesians. To turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified, By faith that is in me. So there's this man, the apostle of our high and wonderful calling. While I'm speaking of this, I would, I think I would like to turn back to the prophecy of Jeremiah just for a word. Chapter one of the prophecy of Jeremiah. Uh, because Jeremiah, in some of his experiences, is a uh, sort of an Old Testament Paul. Let's look at the first chapter, and then I want to turn a bit further on into chapter fourteen. Uh, chapter one, verse um, five: Before I formed thee in the belly. I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. You remember the same words I've practically used of the apostle in Galatians 1. I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations, not the nation, the nations of the Gentiles. Then said I, Ah, oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. But the Lord said unto me, say not I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. You notice the power is resident in one word, send. If you were not sent by the Lord, the possibilities you'll crumple up. But if you're sent by him, the other man's got to look out because there's a mighty power that may be invisible that he'd have to deal with. So he is the sent one. Do you remember Isaiah 6? Who had that very much in his heart? The Lord said, who shall I send? And who will go for us? He didn't say, here am I, I'm going. Oh no. Here am I, sent. And when that was given to him, they couldn't withstand him. They couldn't withstand Jeremiah. They couldn't withstand the Apostle Paul. They can't withstand you in your measure and degree if you have been sent by him. But if you undertake work just on your own initiative because it's rather nice or something, well, you've got to pay the price. So here we have this commission We've touched lightly upon his character, his conversion, and his calling, Suppose if we look at one or two more passages. I'm going to turn to, to Jeremiah chapter 14 by way of a warning too. I think that might be useful while we have this prophet before us. Chapter 14. Isn't it extraordinary? Every chapter except 14 is available. Oh, here it comes. I don't even think you can block that out of the tape recording, but perhaps it will have to be left as a a part of my makeup, I don't know. Uh, I was going to ask you to look at chapter 14 of Jeremiah, verse 14 and 15. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I said them not, neither have I commanded them neither spake I unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination, and a thing of naught, and a deceit of of their heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy my name, and I sent them not. You see, that's the emphasis. I didn't send them, and consequently they don't represent me. So this sending, it's not an accidental thing that we can pass by glibly. It's vital. And it's resident, as I've already suggested, in the word apostle. The Lord chose twelve apostles and he sent them. And then he chose this one apostle and he sent him. And there were other apostles that are mentioned in Ephesians 4, given by the ascended Christ, which distinguished them from the apostles whose names will be in the foundations of the heavenly Jerusalem. They're all sent by him, representing him in one phase or the other of his wonderful calling. Then we touch upon the commission, which is an essential part, of course, and is wrapped up in the word apostle. But I think it's a it's it's got a claim upon us. And we'll turn to Galatians chapter one and see what he says there in connection with this particular aspect, remember there were twelve apostles, and Peter was the one that was um, the head of them, and he's still recognized as the head of the apostles by some churches today. Paul is out of it, and in this epistle to the Galatians, he says, as you will notice, verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. So you see when he was born as a babe at Tarsus he didn't know Christ. Christ knew him. And although he went on his own way there was a hand guiding him. He was never out of the sight of the Lord that was going to call him presently. And it makes a very solemn thought doesn't it to think that that may be the truth over and over again with regard to such as you and me. And here we have it stated concerning this man. He said, Would it please God who separated me from a mother's womb and called me by his grace? What for? You see, this man puts his finger on the essence. He didn't say the gospel. He didn't say the mystery. He said, To reveal his son, in me that I may preach him. Oh friends, it's perfectly true, out of the heart, the mouth speaketh. This man had the Son of God so embedded in his heart by the revelation of God that his testimony was Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is his own testimony here. To reveal his Son in me that I might preach about him. No, friends, no. That I might preach him. But you say, that's rather a singular sort of message. What can you make out of just preaching him? He says, if you only knew the him, you'd know. God's gift to man. Why God's gift to man? Because man needs a saviour because of the character of God against whom he's offended. Couldn't he find somebody else? No, he couldn't. All oh, my friends, by the time you've exhausted the teaching of scripture and the need of man and the character of God, you'll understand why Romans starts off on the same note. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God concerning his son. That's the gospel of God, concerning his son. You can have all the good news in the world you wish. If Christ isn't there, it's just empty words. But if a person could only lift a finger and say, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, and cannot explain much more, he's more likely to have folks turn and follow that one. It's the essence of Paul's ministry. Thank God, and we believe it with all our hearts, I know, So we have this statement, but we haven't reached the point that I was making for. He says, to reveal his son he be that I might preach him among the heathen, that's the word Gentile. We are the heathen of the Bible, not really black faces and idolaters. We're either Jews or heathen. Jews or Gentiles, the same word. Immediately, and I think there's a point here, this is the character of Paul coming out, blessedly. Once he was convinced and convicted, he went for it. There's a terrific danger in trying to be too sure, dallying about this and getting a book out and reading that. Once the conviction is there, here he says, immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Oh, how thankful we ought to be that that's true, because, well, God could raise up another man. He could send another apostle, but he didn't. There was no need. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem. But well, why should he bother about going up to Jerusalem? All oh, the apostles were there. Here was the ruling centre. Here was the committee. In the ordinary way, you'd have to go up before them and show his qualifications and pass some sort of examination as be questioned here and questioned there. He said, I ignored them. I couldn't help it. I went into Arabia. And as far as I know, what part of Arabia he went to, I don't know, but it must have been a very essence of absence of human interference. Here was the apostle of the Gentiles separated completely from all relationship with any other calling until that was settled he was separated. Then he joined them up, as he says. He met. to... Uh, I'll, I'll just go a bit further. But, but I went up to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Friends, there is a need, when you are doing, uh, defending anything, never to hide. Never to think, oh, I won't say that because they may... Speak the truth and shame the devil. He said, I did go up to Jerusalem. I did go up to see Peter. But if you construe that I go up and ask him to lay his hands on me and make me an apostle, what was I doing the three years before that? And the word to see Peter is a word that could be lengthened out. He said, I took a sort of a small holiday. It was a most natural thing for, for a man like Paul to want to meet a man like Peter. He says, I admit, oh, readily. I went up there. But as he goes on to tell you, after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and abode with him fifteen days. Can't you imagine the Apostle Paul's Oh Peter? Show me where the Lord stood when that man was raised sick of the palsy? Show me where it see, Oh, that was most certainly a right thing. Fifteen days, just a fortnight's holiday. But other of the apostles saw I not. He's defending himself, but now he admits, say James, the Lord's brother, I saw him. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. That's an oath, friends. And a man of this man's caliber would not take oaths lightly. Before God I lie not. Afterward I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by faith unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. There's the character, the calling, and the cognition of this man of God. Well now there's one or two other features that are asking for consideration we must pass from those uh, a little lightly. I've got down on this card contemporaries but they work out to such a list that we should be weeks and weeks considering Herod and Claudius and oh I don't know what. So I'm just leaving it to speak for itself if you're interested in to see the various ones with whom Paul came in contact, under whose suzerainty he had to work here and get permission there, you'll find it a wonderful story, but I think I'll have to pass by and leave it. And come to that which is another feature, is companions. You can very often assess a man's character by the companions that he has. And we find the Apostle, although he was a lonely man in some ways because of his calling and his character, he had one or two special friends. One was a God's gift to him. Luke, the beloved physician. Just how far Luke's medical skill was profitable or right, we don't know. They did have simple methods of medical treatment, even in those days. And I think I've said before that I was rather interested to read that they used aspirin 200 years before Christ, but they didn't call it aspirin. It's just the salicylic acid obtained from the willow plant, and they knew it. Well, there may have been many a time when Luke could help the misery of this man. For there's an indication that the, bl- that the blinding that he received on the road to Damascus never fully left him. Writing to the Galatians, he said, When I come to you, you receive me as an angel of God. And i have got to give a literal translation. You did not spit me out. Now why should they spit him out? Why, well, because of his despicable appearance. Of Helmer in the days of this man was a dreadful disease to look at but he says you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me why use such a figure if it had no reference and then at the end of Galatians he says see with what large letters I have written to you with mine own hand the same epistle so here we have these uh, the various things that this man had to endure And I was associating that with the fact that God gave him, as a constant companion, Luke, the beloved physician. Right through to the last epistle he wrote, this man could put down, Demas hath forsaken me, only Luke is with me. Isn't that a comfort? What little he did know of medicine must have been a tremendous help to this suffering dying apostle of the Gentiles. Luke, the beloved physician. If ever you get a chance to get from the library Hobart or the medical language of Luke, you'll be astounded. He's the only one who uses the word firm for heat. When he speaks about the upper room where the disciples gathered, he uses the word for the pallet, the little roof. Uh, He's the one who describes the diseases, the fever and that that accompanies it. And there's very great evidence that he was a doctor in the sense of the term we use today. A gift by the grace of God to this servant. And so we have his traducers. I don't think I'm going to spend time over that. The lamp has already given me an indication that I have only a few minutes. He's just the same as the rest of us. We, We can't please everybody and if we try to, it's only asking for trouble. The Apostle says, they blasphemy say, I say this. I think we'll let it go. He couldn't pass through this experience without making enemies because there were enemies to the truth and they would do their utmost to discredit him. So I've just attempted this evening once more a gigantic task of taking for my subject I read them through the character conversion the calling the commission the contemporaries the companions of this servant of God to whom under the mercy and grace of God we owe the knowledge of our salvation and the glory of our calling as given in that mighty epistle to the Ephesians.